is the real bad dudes cast. We all go a little mad sometimes. Of course, General Watts, and I am joined by Rage Kill and Wolfman God Nords, evidently. That being said, today we are taking a look at what is possibly the most classic horror film of all time, Psycho. Here we have a quiet little motel when in fact it has now become known as the scene of the crime. You have a vacancy? Oh, we have 12 vacancies. You know this is the first place it looks like it's hiding from the world? I think that we're all in our private traps, clamped in them. And none of us can ever get out. Is anyone at home? Oh, that, that, uh, that must be my mother. Is anything wrong? Am I acting as if there's something wrong? She's not missing so much as she's run away. Put me down! Mother! Oh, God! Mother! What are you running away from? She looked like a wrong one to you. It's not as if she were a, a maniac. She just goes a little mad sometimes. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Psycho is without a doubt a masterpiece of a film. First released back in 1960, it changed the very face of psychological horror. It has a fairly complex plot that was pretty much unseen at this time. It is a film that knows how to generate suspense and keeps the audience guessing. It is a film that likely reduced many an audience member to tears for how utterly horrifying it was. Horrifying in a good way, to be certain. Started the slasher genre? I'm not sure if I'd necessarily call it a slasher film, simply because it's not one killer going around to different places. Uh, the killer in the film just stays in one static location, and people come to him. If you want to go by that formula, then yeah. But um, I'd say my interjection on that end is, is that this is um, another grand slam by Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, if you've seen any of his other works, like Rear Window or... Um, the Man Who Knew Too Little, any of those other movies, The Birds. Um, he's pretty much the master of horror back in the day. And I mean, this is just, it's one of his probably best known films. its I wouldn't say it's his best that he's done, but it's his best known. And uh, It was the movie, uh, the studio, like nobody wanted him to really make. Like the studios were against it. Now, I actually first saw this film on vacation. Uh, I was on a band field trip at the time. I believe it was around 2005. Uh, I'd never actually seen it before, but I'd already been long since aware of it. And I have to say, I was quite impressed both then, and then I watched it again in 2018 for this particular review, and I was still fairly impressed. I'd forgotten a lot, but I had also remembered a lot as well. It's definitely a film that will stick in your mind. It's not a simple popcorn movie that's in one ear and out the other. Mm. So my, I agree with that. It's definitely held up well. My story, I guess, on first watching it... Actually, I ended up uh, watching Psycho for the beginning first, before I ever even got a chance to see uh, Hitchcock, I had it uh, recorded off the USA Network. So I saw that a few times, and then uh, and then one day I was in a 
secondhand store, and there was a DVD for Hitchcock Psycho. So I was like, well, I'm going to pick this up and finally watch it. And that was probably about a decade-ish ago, or maybe longer. And, you know, loved it. And then eventually I bought the two-disc special edition that came out and stuff, and then later on checked out the sequels. But uh, Alfred Hitchcock Psycho uh, holds up. It definitely holds up. Um, you know, there's some people who are like, oh, it's in black and white. It's like, movies were in color then. It was just, uh, Hitchcock didn't want to blow the R rating. So, and if it went black and white. That seems to be a very petty complaint. It really shouldn't matter what color it's in, so long as the writing, acting, pacing, and overall set design uh, hold up. The mm-hmm. idea that it's in black and white, clearly whoever says that isn't watching it for the story or for anything other than just the mere pictures. Or, you know, uh, judging a book by its cover. I mean... That's kind of a gray area because honestly, like my kids, sometimes if I ever get to try to watch um like any old time movie, one of the first things they'll say is, "Is it looks boring because it's in black and white?" I mean, that's just how kids are. Oh God, yeah, I've I've even gotten the insult of, "Oh, this is made in the eighties." I'm like, "What?" Well, I, I guess when I'm when when I when I mention that, I'm not necessarily. No, you're, you're absolutely right. It should not matter. Yeah. I mean. It's well, like, I should say, let's just specify that I don't mean like kids or teenagers. I'm talking mm-hmm. like adults that have a problem with that. By that point, you should be, you know, open to more than just the pretty pictures on the screen. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of people that just take that general attitude of, oh, well, this is old. It's not going to be as exciting as the movies that I watch today. Yeah, it's not going to be, um, you know, like. <laughs> You know, and I can't believe I just said it like that. Like literally amazing looking visually. Right. And it's not going to be anything like the Infinity War. It's not going to be like a CGI masterpiece. And it doesn't have to be. It's just some people feel that, you know, if it's if it's old, the effects are going to be hokey. The acting, uh, it's not going to be Arnold, you know, flying in the helicopter. You know, <laughs> not going to get any of that. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Norman Bates. We all go a little mad sometimes. <laughs> Um, um, this movie was definitely an early childhood. I mean, we were pretty much a horror watching family. And I mean, you know, we were taught from a young age, Hey, it's, it's acting, it's special effects. It's nothing to be terrified of. And I mean, one, two, three, they were all on one VHS tape. And I mean, psycho as a child, um, shit, I was like my kids. It was in black and white. So it wasn't as interesting to me as the ones in color. I mean, that's just how kids are. I mean, I can only imagine how kids, you know, back in like the 50s and 60s felt when they had black and white TVs. They didn't have an alternative. I didn't get a chance to appreciate it as much as I was able to in my teens. I want to say that I didn't really watch it a whole lot as a child, but when I became a teenager, I started watching it quite a bit. And then as I got older, I started to learn to appreciate the film. I started to appreciate, you know, the actors and the cinematography work. So all in all, I want to say that from 1960 to 2018, fantastic. And it's one of the, arguably one of the best horror movies of all time. For anyone who hasn't seen Psycho by now, I'm definitely going to say, of course, pause this, watch it, and then come back. Um, I think I'm going to recommend it. Yeah, for sure. I think the rest of you too, but you know, unless you have anything else you want to comment on recommending it or any words of... If you're an adult and you have a pulse and you have not seen Psycho yet, yes. Rage Killer, you address and he'll come over with a ball-peen hammer and smash you over the head with it. Oh, God. I don't know if he's going to go that just, far. Just don't make the nine, the 98 Psycho the first version of the movie you watch. Yes. Well, I was going to say, don't... Well, you're essentially spoiling the remake at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! I'm spoiling the shot-for-shot shot remake. All right, but no, seriously. I'm uh, personally, uh, if you have not seen the movie yet and you're an adult, what is wrong with you? Go watch it. Come back. Loss, you have anything to say? Yes. Psycho 1960 should not. The fact that it's in black and white should play no role in your judgment of the film. Uh, if anything, just pretend it's a period piece because it is in every way as good as any film you would get today. All right, so let's get into them spoilers and talk about the plot of this movie. And so, our film begins with a woman named Marion Crane in the arms of a man. A man who is, in this continuity, not married. And, of course, they're talking about various relationship things, and eventually, she ends up going to work. 
And at work, she has to deal with an annoying customer, and she happens to be working for a real estate agency. The annoying customer pays cash for a piece of property, and she pockets the cash and basically decides to run off with it. She goes, she basically drives out of the city, but of course, just so happens to cross paths with her boss, because of course she would, why not? As she drives out, a cop eventually pulls her over, and there's a bit of a tense scene that the cop might, or might not, figure out that, well, she stole a whole bunch of money. She does indeed act a bit suspicious, but he has nothing to go on. She eventually ends up selling her car to try to uh, get the heat off of her. She drives around a bit, and then eventually gets tired, and I believe it also starts raining. And she comes upon a sign in the distance, and that sign says, Bates Motel. Yes, Marion Crane, played by Janet Lee, the mother of Jamie Lee Curtis. The way the plot goes, you would think that it's just a movie about this, you know, woman robbing money for her boyfriend. Uh, I can't help but say, like, man, the way the plot goes in this movie, like, everyone who went seen this movie thought the movie would, that Marion Crane would be, like, the star of the movie, but... As we continue, uh, we'll find you got anything. Wonderful plot buildup because people who saw this movie for the first time, they had no clue what they were expecting, because um, allegedly Alfred Hitchcock had movie theaters bar people from seeing the movie, like going into the movie like after it started, and if you left, you couldn't come back, type of thing. Um, and you got to remember, this is pre-internet. And really, see movies was to go to the theater. People had no idea about Marion Crane, um, uh, what her role was going to be in the movie. They just figured that this was going to be another typical uh, Alfred Hitchcock crime drama sort of thing. And yeah, you know, it's the notion of is she going to get away with this crime she just committed? Mm-hmm. Like even the trailer was just Hitchcock kind of walking around giving a tour of things that would, you know, might happen kind of thing. And I, I. I, I love the idea behind it because once again it was pretty trailblazing i mean where you completely misdirected the audience because people specifically you know wanted to go to the movie to see janet lee and that's one of the reasons why he barred people from going in other than spoiling the ending it was also people that came to see janet lee they didn't want to why how come we don't see her type of thing so i mean Mm -hmm. it was one of those things where yeah they completely misdirected the audience by making you think that you know True. The, you know, the, the focal point of the movie. It'd be decades before they would kind of do that again with uh, Drew Barrymore in uh, Scream. In a sense, yeah. But that would be three decades later. <laughs> yeah. And so, so she stops for the night at Bates Motel. She inter- is introduced to a man named Norman Bates, a name that would certainly resonate throughout history. He seems a fairly genial sort. He seems fairly eccentric, but more or less normal. And so she settles into her room, and Norman returns asking if she wants to eat something. She goes with him to the office, where they sit down to have a fairly simple fare, which is just a couple of sandwiches. Now, before he returns with the sandwiches, she hears him arguing with an unseen woman. Essentially, the woman doesn't want Norman to associate with Marion Crane in any way. But he, of course, shows up with a plate of food, and they start talking, and the conversation is really quite well-directed and is fairly entertaining in and of itself. And, of course, that's where a variety of famous lines are uttered. We all go a little mad sometimes. And we learn that Norman feels a bit trapped by his life as proprietor of the Bates Motel. He has to take care of his mother, who is very overbearing. Eventually, the dinner party breaks up, and Marion goes to room one to take a shower to wash off all the road dirt. And then, cinematic history is made. She takes a shower, and it seems fairly basic. And then, a shadow is seen on the shower curtain. It opens up to reveal an unseen figure with a knife and the knife is used to stab Marion Crane multiple times. I get the feeling that uh, when this was first seen, to a, when this was first shown to a 1960s audience, 
a lot of people were probably really, really shocked because it actually is a pretty brutal stabbing, something that, as of 1960, simply had not been seen. I get the feeling that uh, a wide variety of people just were, like, bursting into tears from seeing this because this is such... To really, It's really quite hard to describe what a 1960s moviegoer would have felt seeing something this real in a movie. And it gets even worse after this. After he stabs her, everyone remembers the stabbing scene with the screaming, but you then see her body just laying on the ground, and it looks like she's really dead. Uh, go for it, Rage. <clears throat> yeah, um... That definitely did shock... That that more than shocked audiences. That, like, shocked the editors and stuff, the, the studios. They were arguing with uh, Hitchcock to cut it down even more, and they were swirling up and down. They could see, like, a nipple and stuff, and... There was like he, I mean that was a that was a fight in itself. And I believe uh, Janet Lee was like covered with some type of mole skin or whatever during that scene. Uh, so there really wasn't any nudity, except when she fell over the tub. It kind of was like slowly peeling off. But she, you know, she didn't want to do the, have to do the scene again, so she just stood still and figured whoever was up there watching. Then you know, like oh well, <laughs> what did she do about it? Yep. Um, hmm. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, so pretty much this is when we're introduced to the new pivotal character of the entire franchise, which would be Norman Bates, who was played by uh, Anthony Perkins. Um, sad thing is, is Anthony Perkins, he was a very accomplished actor. I mean, he was in movies like Friendly Persuasion, and um, there was another one where he was a baseball player, I think it was called uh, Fear Strikes Out. He had been in movies his whole life. He's even gone and released um, music albums. Very, very, very talented man. But um, this is pretty much the thing that he was best known for. And um, I don't think he ever really, like, resented the attention. Anthony Perkins will be remembered for many things and many roles, but he is best known for this 1960 performance. Can you have a vacancy? Oh, we have 12 vacancies. 12 cabins, 12 vacancies. As Norman Bates, Perkins scared just about everybody. And years later, he went on to star in Psycho 2, 3, and 4. The third film he even directed, a profession he has enjoyed in recent years. Though he was identified for decades as Hitchcock's Norman Bates, the actor says he never felt burdened by typecasting. It never really touches you, the person. It touches your career. It touches producers and directors who think about you and maybe even audiences. But you know who you are. So you are the one person who isn't really affected by typecasting. Like, you know how Christopher Lee was like, don't ever talk about Dracula with me you know I, I don't think he really had a problem with it i think he definitely took the part and he played it wonderfully because uh, the character norman bates is obviously based off of um ed gein and he definitely made it um where it wasn't like where ed gein was kind of like ogreish and monstrous anthony perkins played it kind of like um boyish type quality and he did it fantastically and this is also the part of the movie where the audience completely, you know, got the perception of the movie flipped on its head. Because killing Janet Lee in the middle of the movie, the, like I said earlier, everybody thought that, you know, this was going to be, you know, the star of the movie. Now that they've killed the supposed star of the movie, it's just telling the audience, yeah, nobody's safe. You're in for something completely new, you know, so just sit back and enjoy the ride. It was a great scene. And once again, it, it, it was um, kind of reminiscent of a... What do you call that? From Dust Till Dawn, where halfway through you think you're watching a crime drama, and then at the other end, it's just straight up horror murder mystery type shit. It was fantastic. Right. After this scene, the movie kind of slows up a little bit, because now we know that it's not just a crime drama. It's sort of like a murder mystery. Now, all the other characters that have been previously introduced... Kind of have to figure out what happened to Marion Crane. As far as they know, all she did is steal some money. And really, she just discovered the Bates Motel quite by accident. She was just driving past it. And so you've got the character of her sister, her boyfriend, and a private detective. The private detective finds the Bates Motel and snoops around a bit. Initially, he doesn't find anything, but he figures out that if he talks to the mother that perhaps he might find something. He basically thinks that uh, Norman Bates is hiding Marion in the house. Well, he goes to investigate, and that uh, ends up getting him killed. He ends up getting stabbed by uh, old Normie there. 
after that, and we're just, I'm just going to go to the end right now because th th this is, it's, it's, there's not a really good, there's not a good stopping point at this point. So I'm just going to keep going. Is that okay? After the, after the private detective is killed, it now falls to Marion's sister and her boyfriend to try to figure out what happened. And she start, they start snooping around a little bit. And eventually they go to the sheriff thinking that Norrin Bates is actually holding the sister hostage because he wants to get the money. Well, this is one of those aha moments. This is one of those moments that uh, really throws the audience off again. It shocks the audience again because they're talking to the sheriff and they're saying, well, we think that uh, she's being held at the house because uh, we think that the mother is helping hiding, helping uh, hide hide uh, Marion, right? And the sheriff says, well, Norman's mother died 10 years ago. That's the dun-dun-dun moment. It's like, what? How? What's going on now? Eventually, they head back to the base hotel, and the sister starts snooping around the house, still thinking the mother is there. She doesn't believe the sheriff. And, well, she ends up going into the basement, and out pops Norman Bates in, in a wig and drag. Well, she now, does She does find the mother in the basement. Oh, crap, I forgot all about that. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, shocking moment in cinema. And... I skipped past that to Norman. <laughs> <laughs> to Norman. <laughs> I guess you don't watch Bates Motel, so, okay, okay. She goes down to the basement, and, well... She finds the mother all right. The mother is a withered old corpse. At which time, Norman Bates himself pops out, out of nowhere, with a knife, a wig on his head, and a dress on, saying, I'm Norma Bates. Uh, she almost gets stabbed, but thankfully the uh, uh, Marion's boyfriend shows up and wrestles him to the ground. And the film ends with Norman being arrested. Now, I think in a more modern film, you'd probably see Norman get killed but in this, he's just straight up arrested and sent to uh, jail. And you have a character talking about why Norman was crazy, explaining what had happened. And the final scene of the film is actually quite creepy. We learn that Mother is actually a second personality in Norman's head. And so the film ends with the Mother personality completely taken over, uh, completely taken over Norman. And the film ends on the note of uh, the mother personality talking about how I'm going to show them that I wouldn't even harm a fly. And then it zooms in to uh, Norman Bates looking creepily on into the camera. And it sort of implies that Norman Bates is going to basically charm his way out of jail and get back out there and keep on killing. The explanation scene with the psychiatrist, film critic Ebert suggested that that would have been, like, one scene that should have been uh, removed, in his opinion. That's terrible. Why would you want to remove that? That, like, is so... What uh, I gotta say about Ebert, seriously? Ebert, um, when, when, when uh, Friday the 13th came out and told people to write how disappointed they were, like, he gave away her address on television. Who gives a shit what he has to say if he's, like, willing to endanger people that badly? Right, oh. softcore porn. Who the fuck is he to tell people about decency or, you know anything that is the case i think that's a big problem with uh professional critics uh, one of the things is they they do feel very entitled to tell you kind of how to live in many instances they act very elitist and i think roger ebert i get that he is a pillar of sort of like the film community but i'm not sure how good that actually is i mean like you do have you know where he did do that for Friday the 13th. And I think he might not be as competent as people give him credit for. Oh, yeah, there wasn't... <sighs> Shit. It's like... An Ebert. <laughs> you know, like, they were... They were what we do, you know, like, 20, 30 years ago. That food for thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think, like, we're just talking about movies that we like. I don't think... I think for them... I'm not telling people how to live... You know, yeah, we're not doing that, and I think the most important thing is I don't think we are literally intoxicated on our own flatulence either. <laughs> what? Uh.
Oh dear. And so um, uh, that, that pretty much sums up talking about the movie itself. So now I guess we can give our our thoughts about the whole thing. Sucks, man. She's been colorized. It's not getting. Yeah, you could colorize it. And I think it would stand hold up, and you could release it today and just say it's a period piece, and people would buy that. Ugh, no. That's like I don't know if it would turn out the way that they did. Like like when they colorized Night of the Living Dead. Hmm. It was it was exactly the same. Only oh hey, Ben's wearing a yellow sweater. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like what is right, who wants to go first? It's really hard. It's like man, what is there to say about Alfred Hitchcock Psycho that you know? Should what I is take the reins with this one? Yeah, go ahead. Um, from the notes that I took down, Psycho was made on a budget of about $800,000, and uh, apparently it made over $50 million. So I would say that that's definitely a resounding success. Right. Uh, it, was also, time, it, it was also one of the first movies to show a freaking toilet. Yes, that's true, because back then, um, you had to be very careful about what you showed on TV. You couldn't see a toilet. A navel. Uh, <laughs> Oh, they didn't, they, you know, they had separate beds in the bedroom. Right. Uh, that, that, what was that? There was even a joke in the Brady Bunch movie, because, you know, the Brady Bunch was in the 60s, and it was like, you know, they have all those people living in the house, and I never once saw a toilet. <laughs> Psycho is definitely, uh, definitely a pioneering movie uh, in the genre. I'd say so. It definitely, it definitely blew down doors in a lot of ways, um, intentionally and unintentionally. Intentionally, it was set to, you know, it, it really did. It turned the whole film industry on its head. Because these weren't necessarily, like, really big, big actors that played in this movie at this point. I mean, yeah, people knew who Janet Lee was, and some people knew about who um, uh, Anthony Perkins was. I mean, Anthony Perkins, like I said, he'd been an actor his entire life up until his unfortunate death. He'd also done and made pretty decent music, from what I'd heard. Janet Lee, of course, fantastic actress. So th th there was definitely very competent actors in the movie. And, of course, you have Alfred Hitchcock, who has just made a whole lifetime of scaring the living shit out of everybody. British, which means he had unbelievable wit, where after the movie was released, uh, people were complaining about a movie that he made where his uh, guy wrote and said, my wife saw this movie and now she's afraid to take a bath. And then she saw Psycho and now she's afraid to take a shower. And then Hitchcock wrote back, tell, you know, take her to the cleaners. <laughs> <clears throat> Gotta love that guy. So, I mean, for 1960, um, is it tame by today's standards? Yes, it is. But, you know, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I feel that the film was shot wonderfully. And, of course... Um, yeah, it's still visually really, really well done. Visually appealing. And the story itself, uh, I felt it was paced fantastically. I mean, I suppose and if you wanted to criticize one scene that's kind of dated looking, it would just be maybe the scene where... falling down the stairs? Yeah, that'd be about it. Well, they intentionally made it look bad when they remade the goddamn thing. And we'll mm -hmm. the remake in just a second. And they, they also paid homage to it in one of the later sequels, too, so... Um, I think so. In Psycho 3, yeah. I think uh, one thing that, that I do want to bring up is the concept of a film being tame. I think the big problem with that is, you know, in a modern-day film, I suppose we expect a lot of blood and gore and all of that, but... Well, the book, I believe uh, the shower scene, I think Marion Crane got, gets her head decapitated, so yeah. Yeah, see, I think it actually goes goes in the wrong direction with that. I think... Uh, when it comes to a modern-day film, I think they're not particularly scary because they're almost quasi-comedy in some respects. I mean, if you got somebody getting hacked apart, it can work, yes. This movie's still scary. If you didn't, if you had never even heard the name Psycho somehow, and you showed this to somebody completely new, go into it completely blind, I think they would have been scared by it, even right. in today's world, because it... A lot of modern-day horror films lack any degree of subtlety. To the, sh the shower scene is still effective, and that's been parodied everywhere. Like Everyone, I think, knows the shower scene. And because it works. It yeah. is something that, 
I think it, I think if they did Psycho today, and I'm not talking about a remake, I'm talking about a similar film to that, you would start within the first 20 minutes, somebody's going to get killed. And it's just going to be steadily escalating murders throughout. Whereas in this, it's, I think, like 45 minutes before you finally get a murder. And there's a grand total of two deaths in this film. And it's much more effective when there's only a few deaths. It's similar in, in concept to Alien. Alien is so effective because they don't have people constantly getting hacked up, shot up, or anything like that. They know how to pace it. They keep the deaths, they, they keep you waiting for the deaths, but they make the characters likable enough that you don't want to see them die. Hmm. I Have either of you read the book by Robert Block? No. Sadly, I'm not. I'd highly recommend it. Um, there are subtle differences especially in the characters like a lot of the characters aren't as sympathetic as they are because i mean like norman book compared to norman bates in the movie um he's more of an ogre i want to say in he, the book. isn't he like obese or something he's like a beast middle-aged and all that shit you know he's, he's not boyishly handsome like anthony perkins and i mean that's that that's kind of really a testament to anthony perkins acting ability is that just his look alone and the way that he carried himself it made you feel like he had a child that was trapped inside of him. Mm -hmm. the, the, the biggest question of all is, who is the true star of Psycho? Perkins, is it, definitely. Um, is it Norman Bates? Is it Mother? You know, it, it's just that, that that was the beauty of this movie is, is that you're able to watch this and you can, everybody can universally enjoy it for all of its strengths. And there's no real weaknesses per se. But at the same time, you can walk away from the movie and you can have a different opinion about every character. Mm. I, I felt that the movie was paced really well enough yeah. that you knew what was going on. Um, but it's just like, what, what I'm getting at is, it's just you could look at this movie and say, holy shit, that was a perfect time length. Everything looks fantastic. Everything sounds fantastic. The actors and actresses did a fantastic job. The story was just right. But then you can walk away and say, man, I really kind of feel bad for Norman Bates. What? He was a monster. You know who I really feel bad for is Sam Loomis. The poor bastard was just trying, and then his girlfriend gets killed. You know, it, it's just everybody can walk away with a differentiating opinion on it, like I said. But just all in all, the movie was still great. Mm-hmm the book anybody out there i highly recommend giving it at least a look through because it's just as good it's just as good the sequels though um in book form are nothing like the sequels in the movie right which is probably a you know maybe it's for the best because you know how usually books are adapted in the film anyways well it's it's kind of like the jurassic park novels how they turned out differently in some sense hmm. um even though it was just the one Jurassic Park novel that... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know the second or third Psycho book was actually about Norman going to Hollywood or something like that. Norman <laughs> goes to Hollywood. <laughs> Ironically. Um, it, it was quite an interesting take because, I mean, shit, back then, Ed Gein did some really horrendous shit. Yeah. And... I, I think that was the the book was definitely more inspired by that, and you know, well, just, it was like kind of slovenly and such. Mm -hmm. It's like a lot you were saying, like right. in a movie perspective, you'd be expecting Norman to die, but like, I don't know, man. There's so many real life boogeymen that are, you know, just, just spend the rest of their lives in asylums anyway. So it's like that's true. Ed Gein inspired too. I mean, like, Ed Gein inspired this, he inspired Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. and I think it was just the fact that these weren't normal run-of-the-mill killings. Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Well, the, the, well, that's worth, I'm, I'm trying to lead into. So, um, <laughs> oops. These killings that, that Ed Gein committed were so horrendous, mm -hmm. the nature behind it. These weren't just typical murders. Like, you could watch a murder mystery. Like, ha have you guys seen Rear Window before? Long time ago, but yeah, 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 a long time ago. <laughs> it was just a murder mystery, you know. And then when you get the psycho, there's questions behind it because of, say, the the pseudo sexual nature of it. Right, Ed Gein. Why did he do it? He he killed women and made lampshades out of them because of his mother. And then you had Norman Bates, who about killing his mother way back in the day, and then he would dress up like her and then that's another thing that this movie really broke a lot of ground on and i feel it was I, I, that's a big question 
you know, do you feel that it, like you guys, do you feel that it was intentional or unintentional with the, um, the gender bending? Well, my theory on that is actually, it's one of those things that unintentionally uh, remains scary because it's scary that he's dressed up like his mother. But I think back then it was, he not only does, did he dress up as his mother, but you also have a crossdresser, which at the time in, in 1960 would have been seen as very degenerate. So it was yet one more aspect of horror that today isn't the case, but at the time it was. Mm. Do you feel it was intentional or unintentional? I think it was intentional. I think it was completely intentional. It's 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 just one more scary thing to add on. It's because... a shock at all costs type of thing without having to really cross the line. They handled it well because they save they save it at the end. What you know when you finally it's revealed, and then the uh, therapist guy explains that you know he's his mother's personality. That they don't really go and saying it's a kink or anything. It's just he's not, no, not like that... dual personality. I'm not saying they did, but I think they probably threw that in because that would because you got to remember you got to put yourself in the mindset of somebody in 1960. The 1960, right? Yeah, it was and in the book, in 19... right? Obviously, you know. Obviously, but if you read the book, you'd know that. <laughs> well, I think he, the thing about it is, though, uh, was Ed Gein a crossdresser? I, I don't know Ooh. too much about Ed Gein. Uh, I do not know. I just gotta had your Wikipedia open. <laughs> hey, I got you. <laughs> All right, no, um, uh, seriously, <laughs> um, yeah, you... you're absolutely right, Lodge. You have to put the you have to put yourself back into that time frame. Norman, he wasn't always Norman, but when he but he was almost always mother type of thing. Exactly. I think it was. I think it also was just uh, for the time. This is not. I don't think this is something intentional. I'm moving past. Moving on from that to. Uh, just a overall concept of the audience goer, not uh, Kitchcock himself. For the average audience goer in 1960, they would have had a double whammy of horror of here's this guy dressed up as his dead mother, but also here's a degenerate crossdresser. So to them, it's extra scary. And then later on, it's explained, oh, yeah, he really isn't. Because it's just one of those aspects of uh, cinema that one thing we have to keep in mind is the audience of a previous generation is going to think differently to the audience of this generation. Yeah. you gotta, you got to really think of how the whole scene plays out. I mean, she finds a corpse of his mother, turns around, and then Norman Bates is in a wicked address. Yes. That was actually really fucking scary. Right. I, like, even as a child... That was very, very, very jarring. So imagine how people who didn't grow up on Nightmare on Elm Street, didn't grow up on splatter films. I mean, for me, I Spit on Your Grave was like, I'd seen it. Yeah. And I've seen movies like Cannibal Holocaust. Well, uh, you know, that was obviously like later in life. And these are movies that were made later, you know, past this. Back then, things were fucking rosy. You yeah. know, the only thing that people were scared of were the dangerous, you know, commies. You know, so like you had the white picket fences and everything. And you, then you come out with this movie, who it, it, it was nothing like anything that Hitchcock had done. I think the the movie that he did before was uh, North by Northwest, if I remember correctly. But it's just like the point is, this movie had the balls to like really hit you psychologically, and it just fit the name perfectly, Psycho. I think also the scary aspect is that Norman Bates, on the surface, just looks like a good old fat, a good old boy that's never doing no harm. He's just a nice guy, right? The credit and goes think, to uh, credit goes to Anthony Perkins because when he's in that drag, just his face expression stuff is fucking scary. It's like well, there's, well, there's that, but it's also just the idea that. Uh, that somebody who looks so normal as Anthony Perkins could actually have that side of him. Because who can you trust? I mean, he se he seemed like a, a normal kind of guy. He was nice. He was uh, polite. And yet, I need working to behind that. But it's like this normal guy is behind, uh, behind that facade is a killer. I mean, think about that. I bet that probably made a shitload of people very wary of stopping at any motel. It's like... Okay, actually, here's something that's kind of funny. Okay, think about this. Think about this. You just got out of Psycho, right? You're going on vacation. 
you don't want to stop at the hotel with a nice guy with a smile. It's like, hey, how is it going today? Would you like me to? Would, would you uh, Would you like me to like buff your tires or something? No, you want to get like the crusty motherfucker that's like has like one of those white shirt <laughs> things. You know? <laughs> He's got like this scraggly beard. It's like that's the guy I trust. Get me away from that 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 guy. He's probably that other guy. He's probably you know he's probably gonna stab me and like wear my face as a mask. <laughs> I will trust old Saul any day. Uh, oh, you're absolutely right, and that I, I was just about to say it myself. Is that yeah? It it completely took that on its head too, because you know if you saw somebody like with facial hair, they're a bum. They're nuts. You know they're 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 junkies. It's like then you have this clean cut person, because I mean you got to remember the '60s they were hippies, you know. So it's like Norman Bates comes along, clean cut, all American boy, you know, and he uh, well he must hunt because he's got stuffed animals on the wall. That's a man's man. <laughs> it was just, and then it turns out that he was a brutal killer, Very right? Fun, like some type of a disassociative disorder. Yeah. The guy that says, hello, yeah, so how are you today? Fuck that guy. I want the guy that says, yeah, what do you want? Room. So all, all in all, my, my my final take on it, not to, not to care, not, you know, not to drag out. Uh, my final take on it is, is just, you know, this was um recognizable film. It's one of the most well-known films in history. It's one of the best films that have ever been made. You don't have to be a horror fan to sit down and watch this movie and appreciate it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And also... It ju- huh. it also helped continue to jumpstart Hitchcock's career into doing like really cool creative stuff because after this he did uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents which is an amazing TV show. There's some really good episodes of that, and then of course The Birds and you know so forth. Actually, if I remember correctly, Hitchcock hired his television crew to shoot the movie to save money. Right, and it must have been quite uh, quite confident because it does not feel like a TV movie. Oh, one other piece of trivia that they were a very accomplished uh, crew, right? And it was a... shows. Uh, one piece of trivia, though, real quick is uh, uh, the woman who plays Marion, whose name I forget at the moment, Janet Lee. Uh, Marion Crane, Janet Lee. Yeah, Janet Lee. Uh, after she saw the film, it took her years to finally be able to take a shower again. <laughs> After all the shit that she went through, I mean, look, they meticulously shot that movie because one of the things that they had focused on was whether or not you could see Janet Lee. You know, like you could see, obje- um, yeah, objectionable parts of Janet Lee. So they had to go through the movie frame by frame by frame by frame, which also meant that they had to shoot it several, several, several times standing in the water, which I'm sure was fucking freezing cold at that point. Contrary to what some of the dialogue is on the Universal Tour, sometimes they say that Mr. Hitchcock turned cold water uh, on me in the shower so that I would scream, you know. Well, that's exactly the opposite. He was so considerate of the temperature of the water that I would be comfortable. You know, so, yeah, I wouldn't want to take a shower after... This is a movie that absolutely played with the audience's expectations. And, you know, they introduced sympathetic characters, and then they killed them off. And, I mean, like, you felt bad for Arbogast because he was just doing his job. You felt bad for Marion Crane because she wanted to help out her boyfriend. You felt bad for Loomis because he wanted to start a new life. You felt bad for Norman because of all the domineering that, it, you know, the effects that his mother had on him. You know, so it's just... And then one by one, they took him out. And it's just... It, it's it, it, the, the shower scene in and of itself is one of the most iconic in cinema. If, if you have a pulse and you have not seen or heard of Psycho at this point, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and even if you spoil yourself on this video, still watch it because I gotta tell you, it holds up. Now, a word we, on the Psycho remake. We forgot to bring up what happens to poor Marion Crane. I mean, she gets stuffed in her car and thrown in the swamp. Well, we don't need to explain everything that happens. That's what happens to everybody. <laughs> but uh, the Psycho yeah, remake. Up at the bottom of the so yes, in the '90s, uh, a famous director, Gus Van Sant, 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 I don't know. He basically got the keys to remake Psycho, and in his words, he wanted to remake it so nobody else could or would by doing it shot for shot. Uh, and 
having seen bits and pieces of it throughout the years, I have to say uh, that is probably by far the absolute most respectful way you could possibly remake Psycho. There's no way you could actually do it justice. But they didn't go and try to make it young and hip for well, the 1990s audience. Except for Base Motel, but, you know. Well, that's a different thing that, that will definitely have to be discussed later. But mm-hmm. Base Motel is a very different animal, which actually uh, doesn't really update it for a young and hip audience. That does keep Norman Bates about as you would expect. But uh, as far as uh, the remake goes, there's a lot worse remakes out there. I mean... They could have made, you know, like Norman Bates, like a six foot two bodybuilder that like gets shot all the time and wears a mask. <laughs> they could have just completely messed every piece of that up. Instead, it's simply the first movie, but, you know, remade. I guess you could say I, it's like watching a play with different actors playing the role, but since it's a movie, it still doesn't quite work. It doesn't, but it's not. The thing is, I'm actually, I will defend the remake for one. I, I, I don't recommend watching it because it's unnecessary, but it could have been a lot worse. We got we to gotta appreciate that they didn't like turn Norman Bates into a six foot tall bodybuilder and Marion <laughs> Crane into like some kind of kung fu um, ninja kind of thing. Instead, they, they casted a comedian actor to try and play a serious uh, role of Vince Vaughn. Well, I guess Vince Vaughn has done a few serious roles, but well, I mean, even then, I'm just saying, like they yeah. did so many, so many remakes just completely missed the point of the original film. You know, they didn't have like a bunch. They didn't have like Norman turn into like a CG monster <laughs> smashing up a city or something like that. It showed respect to the source material, and that's and that should be appreciated. Yeah, except man, those. Weird shots they put in, like this, the shower scene. They added like <laughs> shots of cows in the sky for some reason. And then uh, when uh, when Norman's mother is found in the basement, they added a quick scene of a dominatrix looking at the camera. Like, what kind of MTV ninety shit is this? Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm not saying watch it. I'm just saying um, it's not as bad as it could be. Hmm. It's not the Freddy remake. Let's just put it that way. I fucking hate the remake with every fucking fiber (laughs) of my being. Julian Moore and William H. Macy couldn't save it. And you know what? William H. Macy is is like actually a really good actor, and I got a ton of respect for him. And Julian Moore can kind of be decent when she's not overreacting, like, you know. But, um, no. I, I mean, like, my reasoning behind why I hate this movie so much is, is just... So unnecessary that, yeah, Lots has the best point. Lots has the best point in the world. Well, it could have been worse. It doesn't matter. It was so unnecessary that just the fact that it was made is worse. I'm just glad that I didn't pay to see it when it came out in theaters. Look, this was a shot for shot remake. They did add was just dumb. Oh, yeah, and they added a Norman ma- uh, making masturbating uh, sounds while watching Mary, yeah. I, I, well, yeah, he's watching her through the thing. And you know what? I understand that the voyeurism scene was still in there, and people are able to use their imagination to draw in the rest. And well, that's, yeah. Wait, to hear the unzipping, and they hear... Right. <laughs> you know, I, it's like... It makes uh, the original works better that he wouldn't because the way he is strict as his mother is, you know, you know, that's why he's fucked up in the head anyways. It just I don't you know. can only assume that after he got that release, the feeling would be out of his body, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get into this discussion. But, no, but it, it's like he would stop being mother because he's not feeling attracted. You know what I'm saying? Right. Everything that they added, it was completely unnecessary or completely illogical. I mean, for fuck's sake, he put Mother into the fruit cellar, and then in the remake, it looked like a fucking laboratory. Hey, yeah. Everywhere? Come on. And then, oh, he had to get the spider crawling out of the eyeball. (laughs) It's just... It was so unnecessary. And Vince Vaughn... It's not about whether or not I'm a fan of Vince Vaughn or not, because, I mean, generally, he's kind of okay. But at the same time, Vince Vaughn as Norman Bates, 
because like Norman Bates had that childhood innocence and Vince Vaughn trying to act like a child. <laughs> creepy. I understand that Norman Bates's whole tragic tale is deep steep like like deeply stuck in was not in your face. Meanwhile, this one you got Julianne Moore going through the room and it looks like the fucking set of Howdy Doody and then she's opening up books and finding stag mags in between the kitty books. <laughs> For God's sake. Wolfman's like, brave. He watched the movie. We only watched clips of it. <laughs> of course I watched the movie because, uh, like I said, I grew up watching Psycho. And then, hey, there's a remake? Well, I would definitely like to see it. You know? And, of course, if I'm going to review a movie, I fucking watch it. <clears throat> I, I watched the original, so. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, that's just the point. Is It's just that Psycho, a lot of people like it. And if you like it, that, that's cool. You know, but I mean, like to me, it's just it was so unnecessary. It didn't need to be made. You know, it would have been better if they remastered the original Psycho and re-released it in theaters. Indeed. Because at that point, you would have had the same effect. Or just pick up Psycho on Blu-ray. <laughs> seriously, Psycho does transfer quite well to Blu-ray as well. We gotta make money off this shit. We're gonna lose the rights. Okay, just fucking throw one back in the theaters. People would have still paid to see it. Or they could have like just how, did the sac- they could have just go. did the sacrilege thing and just colored the original and throw it back in theaters if they felt that audiences couldn't watch a black and white movie. I don't know about that because I mean, like, how many times have has like your local cinema said, "Hey, we're gonna be playing fucking The Wizard of Oz for like two days only. Come down and watch it," and that shit's filled. Right. It's like that recently they were playing Ghostbusters in the movie theater. Everybody, everybody went to go see it, and, to, and shit was sold out. If you threw Psycho back in theaters, you know, and, and, and of course you get that fucking asshole announcer. This summer, coming right <laughs> thirty years later of Psycho. It's just people would go see it. You don't have to remake it with it. Just re-release it. People watch it. Mm-hmm. But they, but history's already been written, and they, for some reason, decided to throw money at remaking it. I can't believe the studio was like, okay, go ahead and do it shot for shot. That, you know, even as a businessman, if I was the head of the studio, and I said, okay, go ahead and remake this movie, and the director flat out admitted, I think, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I think I, I, I could swear to God that I heard the direct, like Gus Van Sant flat out say, I watched the movie as I was making this one for reference. Mm. The fuck? Really? How fucking lazy are you? Well, I wanted to preserve the integrity of the movie because I love it so much. You love it so much that you had to watch it while you were fucking remaking it? <laughs> really? Well, there is that. You know, it, it's just, that is like the most laziest thing ever, because a remake, it's, yeah, it's a reimagining, and yeah, it could have been worse, but you know what, make it fucking worse, because at the very least, you tried something different. Right. Or maybe it would have been worse, or or maybe they could have done the all-time favorite route that I've ever heard with movies that are based off of books. Oh, we're going to remake it. And this time around, we're going to make it a lot more like the book. So that way, if you haven't fucking read the thing, it'll be a whole new experience for you. Ha ha. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, fucking, I hate that. Make it more like Robert Block's book. At least it's something different. Because if you're showing me the same angles, and then you expect me to believe Vince Vaughn with fucking lipstick on, <laughs> get the fuck out of here. There is that. Uh, now, of course, we did. If, okay, go on. Oh, I was going to say, well, we would eventually see a uh, sort of remake because uh, the TV show Bates Motel actually does remake the events of the uh, film in season five. Right. And it does a tremendous job actually remaking it and uh, changes it up a bit here and there as well. Yeah, at least it wasn't shot for shot, thank God. Honestly, in, I still don't have a problem with shot for shot because it subverted expectations of what you thought was going to happen, which was nice. Yeah. Oh, and at the very least, this is what I will say: is um, uh, full disclosure, I season of Bates Motel, 
Uh, but then as it went on, I kind of got less and less interested in it. Mm. I'll figure out why eventually. But I got to say, for the remaking of the original's time arc, it stands to reason wh- why I hate the remake. They did something different. And look how it turned out. It's right. a TV show. And yeah. we, of course, will be reviewing the TV show uh, at a later date. I think, uh, yeah, because I'd say the TV show is definitely how you, how you should approach a remake. You know. Well, final thoughts for Psycho. How do you feel about it lots? I feel it is indeed a film that lives up to all of the hype built up around it. I mean, whenever I hear a film that's hyped up, I generally am like, yeah, sure, it's good. I'm pretty sure that if you actually watched the movie, it would not be nearly as good as as advertised. That happened to me with 2001. I thought it was going to be a great masterpiece. It was real crap. Uh, Psycho, you know, you grow up hearing about how great it is, and you finally see it, and it actually does live up to the expectation. You couldn't have said it better, so what Lot said. <laughs> uh, uh, Psycho, it is a cinematic masterpiece. It is a work of art. If you have not seen it, fucking go see it, please. You really need yeah. to see it. Yep. Yeah. You should definitely see it. If you like, what? I don't like think I can praise it any more than I already have. And I mean, pretty much it's accolades. They stand up by itself. Oh, 1960 it came out, so we're looking at about... 58 years ago. 58 years later, it still holds up amazingly well. Mm-hmm. As far as the remake goes... I wouldn't even make my worst enemy watch it. <laughs> Maybe if you're morbidly curious with massive quantities of alcohol, but still, you could probably just watch something else. <laughs> and with that, we are indeed the real bad dudes, and we're going to wish you good, psycho, or whatever makes you happy. Good afternoon. Here we have a quiet little motel tucked away off the main highway and, as you see, perfectly harmless looking when, in fact, it has now become known as the scene of the crime. This motel also has, as an adjunct, an old house, which is, if I may say so, a little more sinister looking, less innocent than the motel itself. And in this house, the most dire, horrible events took place. I think we can go inside because the place is up for sale, although I don't know who's going to buy it now. In that window on the second floor, the single one in front, that's where the woman was first seen. Let's go inside. You see, even in daylight, this place still looks a bit sinister. Now, it was at the top of these stairs that the second murder took place. She came out of the door there and met the victim at the top. Of course, in a flash, there was the knife, and in no time, the victim tumbled and fell with a horrible crash. I think the bat broke immediately and hit the floor. It was it's difficult to describe the way that the, the, the twisting of the of the well I it's I won't dwell upon it but let, let, come upstairs of course the victim or should I say victims hadn't any conception as to the type of people they would be confronted with in this house especially the woman she was the weirdest and the most well, well let's go into her bedroom Here's the woman's room, still beautifully preserved. 
and the imprint of her figure on the bed where she used to lay. I think some of her clothes are still in this wardrobe. the son's room but uh, we won't go in there because his favorite spot was the little parlor behind his office in the motel let's go down there this young man you had to feel sorry for him after all being dominated by an almost maniacal woman was enough to drive anyone to the extreme of uh, uh, well, let's go in. Well, I suppose you'd call this his hideaway. His hobby, as you see, was taxidermy. Crow here, an owl there. Now, an important scene took place in this room. There was a private supper here. And, uh, oh, by the way, this picture has great significance because uh, let's go along to cabin number one. I want to show you something there. All tidied up. this up now. Big difference. You should have seen the blood. The whole, the whole place was, well, it's, it's too horrible to describe. Dreadful. And I'll tell you, there's a very important clue was found here. Down there. Well, the murderer, you see, crept in here. Very slowly, of course, the shower was on, there was no sound. And,
Oh, 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 oh,